Oh, man. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Gosh, I tell you what, I, I had, a, had a moment, I was sitting there, um, I, I had the, the, just kind of the thought pot pass through my mind, this, this, the idea that, you know, uh, a lot of times people, when we talk about going to heaven, right, and it's this kind of like over-reduced idea of what we're going to do there, and, and the kind of the, the cliche thing to, to describe that is like, oh, we're just going to sit around and sing songs, you know, forever, that sounds so boring. I got to tell you, I could, if that's going to be the moment, if this morning's going to be the moment for eternity, I'd sign up for that. I'd sign up for that. Today is the day we, we, we celebrate what our, our Savior did for us so many years ago. Jesus came to be our solution, our solution to a, to a problem that we had. Um, it was, it was a, a, a solution that we needed because we couldn't, we couldn't provide the solution for ourselves. Um, you know, if, if, if every one of us was, was honest, we, we know that there is, there is something uh, fundamentally not right within us. We, we know, we look around, it doesn't, take, it, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of deep introspection to understand that there is, there is something broken in our society. There's, and the reason society is broken is because it doesn't take a whole lot of deep introspection to understand that, that we're broken. That there's something wrong. We call it many things. We call it insecurity. We call it feeling unworthy. We call it mistakes that we've made. We call it losing our temper. We call it moments of, of weakness. We call it harm we've done to others. We call it hate we feel towards others. We call it loneliness that we just can't shake. And if we can, can picture a perfect, loving, holy God, we quickly recognize that we are not worthy to be accepted by him. That we, we are not of the same thing that he is. That there is some major divorce between this God that we, 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 we think we understand and, and our own behaviors, our own thoughts, our own motivations. There's a standard that we, we know that we, we can never measure up to. Maybe you've felt that way. That there's, there's just no way to be good enough. There's just no way to, 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 to be whole enough, to be smart enough, to be, to be successful enough. It's the one thing that we can all agree on really all over the world. That things and we are messed up. Right? It's the only thing we all agree on, that things are messed up. And so humanity is searching for an answer to that problem. And we've come up with a multiplicity of, of, of answers. We, we have. We've attempted to, to, to create solutions for this. And in it, we've created a host of religions and philosophies, social sciences and psychologies to try and address this issue. And we could spend years looking at all the various solutions, if you want to call them that, that, that we collectively as humanity uh, have come up with over the years. But we're here today to celebrate that there is one answer to the problem, amen? 
There is one solution that actually works. And I know in, in our society today that that statement in itself has become controversial. Sadly, even in amongst what, the church, that this idea that, that, uh, that, that there's got to be more than one solution. Right, that they're, they're all, all, you know, all, all what do they say, all roads lead to Rome. That 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 the problem can be fixed by multiple means, and I'm I'm here to tell you that that's just not true. There's lots of different ways we could approach the subject, but but I think you don't have to go much further than just simple common sense to to realize that that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Logically, it doesn't connect. That there would be. Um, multiple solutions. Um, you know, if you're, if you're rating the size of a problem, right, if we're trying to figure out how big a problem you have, um, th there's a couple of aspects that, that, that factor into that. Is this a small problem? Is this a big problem? And, and, and the first one is, what are, the, what are the consequences of not fixing that problem? Right? Um, if, the, if the problem is small, if, the con if, if there's very little consequence to the, the problem not getting fixed, then it's not really a big problem. Well, we know that it, what we're talking about here is nothing less than, nothing less than, than our existence um, eternally and, and our, our, the quality of our life collectively and individually here, humanity itself. So th there are big consequences we're talking about. So that, that, that puts it in the, the big problem category. Another way you rate problems is how difficult are the solutions to fix the problem? You know, um, if it's dark in your house and you're trying to walk around in the middle of the night, that's a, you know, you could trip, you could fall, you could hurt yourself. That's a decent sized problem. But the, the solution is very not difficult, right? You, you go to the light switch. <laughs> Problem solved, right? That, the, the, the solution is not difficult. Um, and, and so that, that's our, our second uh, thing that, that, that we have to, we can use to rate uh, the size of our problems. And, and in this case, uh, we, we find it's difficult. We, we find that there, there, there aren't, um, we haven't come up with any solutions that really work. And the third category uh, of ways we evaluate the size of a problem is, is, is not just how difficult are the solutions, but how many of them are there? If there are, if there are a million ways to fix a problem, then it's not a very big problem. And I, I say all that to say this, that if you just look at it on its face, we acknowledge that this is a huge problem for each of us and for all of us. But if there were, if there were hundreds, if there were not thousands of solutions, then it wouldn't be that big a problem. More of us would have a solution. Does that make, I mean, are you tracking? Does that, does that make sense? That, that, that if all roads led to Rome, if any path you take, as long as you pick a path, would, would end you at a solution to the problem of our, of our sin, to the problem of our, our weakness, to the problem of our, our brokenness, then, then we should see a whole lot more whole people walking around. And we don't. Because there aren't multiple solutions See, religion attempts to give, to give us instructions on, on how to earn our way out of the problem. And philosophies try to reason our way out of the problem. The solution, if I can just understand it, then, then somehow that, that will fix the problem. 
Some use uh, or will elect to just try and numb us from the problem with distractions like entertainment or intoxicants or achievement, accomplishments. But the reason the, the reason the solution Jesus offers offers works when every other attempt fails is that it's the only solution that comes from a truly different place. It's the only solution that comes from outside of the problem. See, every other solution that we come up with, that we attempt, is a lot like trying to dry off while you're still in the deep end of the pool. And Jesus, uh, in the empty tomb, addressed the real issue. That there, the truth is, there is nothing we can do about the problem in and of ourselves. There's nothing I can do about the pro- my problems. I can't think my way out of it. You can't be good enough. We can't be selfless enough. We can't give enough to others. We can't accomplish enough. Muscle Paul uh, explains it this way. Pretty, spells it out pretty, pretty uh, black and white in Romans chapter 3. He says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is, is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul like the, the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder, destruction, misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having an excuse and to show the entire world that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. In our natural state, that is who we all are. And this is why the the, the gospel, um, especially uh, now, is becoming more and more uh, offensive to people because this is, this is if, if you want to accept the solution that Jesus offers, we have to start at the position that he does, and that is where we stand before the cross and the empty tomb. And that is right here. And we have to be careful. There, there's, there's a, uh, there is a temptation within us to, to want to, to minimize this part of the story. But I'm here to say that, that, that we, we cannot. We have to, in our own lives, we can never forget what we were. And if we're sharing the solution that Jesus offers us to others, we have to first start with the acknowledgement that that's where they are. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't give us license to, to, to enjoy telling people that that's what they are. We speak the truth and we speak it in love. But we still ha- have to speak it. But the good news is God doesn't leave us there. He offers a solution. What Jesus does in, in his life, his death on the cross, and in his resurrection is he comes to the side of the pool and he offers us, offers to pull us out. See, that's where the solution comes from. It comes from outside the pool. 
When we see what Jesus is offering in, in Matthew, uh, the, the account, if we pick it back, back up the reading that we started our service with, with Jesus dying on the cross, if we just continue to the next verse, we see this, this amazing God gives us in kind of a, um, an illustrated sermon, if you will. It's not really a sermon. It's just, uh, just some physical manifestations of what God is doing in the moment of, of Jesus' death. In his sacrifice, we see this, this uh, rather, rather uh, dynamic explanation of, of it. And we'll just read it and then we'll talk about it. In Matthew 27, we pick up in verse 50, says, then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart and tombs were opened. Bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised to dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and they went to the holy city of Jerusalem and they appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, truly, this man was the son of God. We see two, two kind of demonstrations that God, you know, I love, I love what an artist God is. He, he, he loves to use, use his power, and he has all of it, uh, to not just tell us things, but he knows we're visual people, so he gives us demonstrations of what's going on in, in the spiritual realm to help us understand. And we see two right here. We see the effects of Jesus' sacrifice on display. Uh, first, we see, we see the effects of the resurrection power. We see that, that, that Jesus dies and immediately the, the resurrection power was so great that the aftershock started, woke up the nearby dead. What a crazy thing. You have graves from all over the area, just people popping out and, you know, you're walking down the street to get your Passover meal and, you know, there's dead Uncle Tom you haven't seen in five years just walking down the street. It's, it's crazy. But it's a, it's a testimony. God did that because he wanted us to understand that how the power that was being released into our lives, the, the access, what we have access to because of Christ's death. Jesus offers us not just a better life, but an eternal one. He proves right out the gate that this is not just a, that Jesus' life and his resurrection isn't just about this life, but it has implications for eternity. Sometimes we, we forget and we have to remember that, that this life is but a vapor. I can't, I can't tell you uh, that to trust in Jesus' life, to trust in Jesus, to make him Lord of your life, will make your life easier. I can't tell you that. I can promise you that it'll be worth it. Because this life is only the first letter of the first word, of the first sentence, of the first paragraph, of the first book, and an eternal library of living we're going to do. We are eternal beings. And when we, when we pour ourselves on Jesus, when we accept his, what he did on the cross, when we make him his Lord, everything up to either him coming back or him calling us home is just a, a wisp of a fraction of a comma of a sentence. 
for the rest of eternity that we're going to spend. So it's whatever happens in that minuscule little part, it's worth it. It's worth it to get to the whole rest of eternity. Like I said, I can't promise it'll be easy, but it'll be worth it. I can also promise you, not only will it be worth it then, it will be better now. It will be better now. We do not have a faith that says, oh, just pie in the sky, hold on. And, you know, yes, you're going to pay for it here and it's going to be miserable. Um, but, but one of these days, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a reward coming. There certainly is a reward coming. But Jesus, when we, when we submit ourselves to Jesus, when he comes into our life, he comes into our life and he makes it better now. All that resurrection power is now, says the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. We get, we get a new source to live this life. It doesn't mean that the challenges get easier. It means we, have, we now have the power of Jesus and the approval of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those challenges. We're not doing it alone anymore. We have resurrection power. When you let Jesus pull you out of the pool, when you make him your Lord. The other thing we see in this story is not only did the dead walk around, but, but he, he does this other kind of strange thing where God tears this veil from top to bottom in the temple. Right? What, what, is, what is this talking about? This is, um, you know, the, the temple was where people met God since, since God's introduction to the people of Israel. That's what the, that's what the, the temple was, was there for. And in the temple, there was, there was another area where the, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the very spot that God would meet people. And there was a veil that separated that from, from everybody else. And you, you couldn't go in there. Only, only the high priest could go in there. And only once a year. And only after a whole lot of uh, cleansing and prayer and doing all of these things just the right way. It was, it was a scary place to go into. They would, in fact, they would tie a rope with a bell around the guy's leg before they'd send him in in case he did something wrong and got struck dead. They could yank him out without having to try and go in after him. But God in that moment rips this veil from top to bottom and it sends a very clear message to all of us that, that access is now granted to every single one of us. Up until this point, we, we had an intermediary. That's right. God led by speaking to individuals that would speak to the group. That's typically the way he led. Um, but now, because of what Jesus does, he cuts through that, all that cosmic red tape and he offers to us direct access. We now have direct access to, on the, you know, on that, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the top of it, they called it the mercy seat. And it was the place where the, the sacrifice was laid once a year to, to atone for the sins of the whole nation. We now have personal access to a mercy seat where we can come and receive forgiveness directly from our God. We have direct access to his presence. We can now go into the Holy of Holies. We can now have God's presence, not just access to it, but he goes with us. We have direct access to his, his guidance. It was, it was only before this, it was God speaking to a few leading the bunch. But now, because of what Jesus did, you have the ability to hear from the Lord for yourself. 
and you have direct access to his comfort, no longer do we have to have this picture or, or worry or, or, or have fear of a, of a, of a, a God that, that we can't get close to. And he, here's the real amazing part. So he does these things. He offers us, us the, his power, his resurrection power and this, this access. And he, here's the, the, one of the most amazing parts of the story. Jesus does all this. All of this, we just read, it happens immediately. Right? But it had no effect on anyone the next day. The, the follower, his followers were still scattered the price was paid, but his mother's heart was still broken. The power had been released, but his disciples were still discouraged and, and, and afraid for their life and hiding. What else had to happen? He already did the work. Wouldn't that be enough? Well, it could have been, but that's not where Jesus leaves it. Jesus then had to go meet them and reveal that he had resurrected before it became any sort of uh, evidence in their life. Before they could have any access to it, they had to meet the, the risen Jesus. And so we see in scripture, the next number of, of chapters, that's what Jesus is all about. And I love the stories of Jesus, you know, uh, post-resurrection, how he meets people. Because, I mean, I think we could all agree, he had a pretty uh, rough life. Uh, Jesus' path here on earth was not, well, he was on mission, and there was, it was all sacrifice. And, you know, there was, all, I, I think this part, he, this was the part of his life that he really just got to have fun. Right? The, the job's done. He, he's finally getting to cut loose a little bit. Because all of these stories, they're just, uh, uh, what is it, Eldridge, a uh, guy who writes, uh, wrote a book called uh, Beautiful Outlaw. And he has a chapter in there about the playfulness of Jesus. And he cites the, 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 this, these sorts of stories to kind of show, because it is. Jesus is having, it seems like he's having a lot of fun, because he's just popping up left and right in people's like everyday lives. There's two guys walking down the road, uh, the former disciples, and they're, you know, they're dejected, and they don't know what's going on, and they're scared. And, and so Jesus just saunters up next to them and hides his identity from them, and he spends the whole day with them. And, and, and they talk, and he encourages encourages them and then finally right at the end right 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 at the end he, he he says something and all of a sudden he opens their eyes and boom they're like oh, Jesus and he's like bye and he just disappears <laughs> he sees the disciples and they don't know what to do so they just went back to their livelihood they're just fishing you know they were commercial fishermen before and so they're out fishing and and uh so what does Jesus do he he, he just kind of like Hangs out on the beach for a little bit. He sees them out there, you know, not catching anything. Probably got a chuckle out of that. Um, I don't, it's a good thing that the disciples got called to be disciples. And I wonder if Jesus picked them because they were not good fishermen. Because every story of them fishing, the only time they catch anything, Jesus has to do a miracle for them to haul anything in. I don't. 
Because that's how he, if you remember, that's how he called them, right? That's how he, he first introduces himself to them. So he, he sees them out there fishing, and uh, we don't know exactly how, but he, he procures for himself some fish. I don't know if he just kind of like, you know, whistled and a couple jumped on shore or what, but um, he, he's preparing them a, a breakfast, and then he calls out to them, and he says what he said at the beginning. He said, did you catch anything? And they don't recognize him. He's hiding his identity again. And uh, they say no, and he says, well, try the other side, and they do. And all of a sudden, they start hauling in fish, and all of a sudden, it clicks. Oh my gosh, that's Jesus. And they freak out, right? And they, so they, you know, they, one of them jumps out of the boat and just swims in, you know? Yeah, Peter, he's a little, uh, he's a little impetuous. That's, that's, that, that's, that's Peter. Um, he has fun revealing himself, but it wasn't until he revealed himself that the resurrection had any impact on their lives. And the same is true for us. Jesus and his resurrection power and the access that his life, his death, his resurrection has granted us is available, it's real, but it only applies after we've seen Jesus. After he's revealed himself and we've seen him. Jesus is still revealing himself and the resurrection that he offers to us. This wasn't just for the disciples. Every one of, every one of us who loves Jesus and has, has put our faith in him and, and calls him God, um, we, we do that because he revealed himself to us. See, we, we love him because he loved us. Because remember, beginning, we're not... You know, Stuart Smalley was, was wrong. Remember that sketch on Saturday Night You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And gosh darn it, people don't like you. We, we need Jesus to reveal himself to us. And he does it through scripture. He does it through, through his emissaries, which if you, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's you. That's our job. And he does it through, through moments like this where we come together and we can sense his presence and his, his truth is declared. And so I, I would be remiss this morning if we ended our time and we didn't give the opportunity for anybody who hasn't had that introduction, who hasn't made Jesus their, their Lord and Savior, who hasn't known what it is to live this life under his leadership you can start that relationship today, and it's not overcomplicated. It's, it, it's just a, f a, few, a few realities that we embrace and confess. It's if we just would admit that we need a Savior, and that He is the only answer. If we would just humble ourselves and to ask Him to forgive us and acknowledge that outside of Him we are drowning in that pool. If we would just trust to live under his leadership. Romans 10 says it this way. If you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. 
As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. That is, that is our collective story today. Amen. We have all been saved by grace. If you guys want to stand, we're going we're gonna to end here in some, some worship here in a minute as the worship team uh, is running really quickly. It's okay, John. Don't worry.